If you're an educator and you've tried to add STEM to your classroom, you understand that it can be a struggle. It can be tough to try to find time and it can be tough to figure out how to make it happen. On today's episode, we're going to chat with the author of a brand new book about STEM education and how to bring that creativity, that problem solving, and just one idea into your classroom. Welcome to the STEM Everyday Podcast. Each episode features educators sharing their practical ideas to put more science, technology, engineering, and math into every classroom every day. For show notes and more information, visit dailystem.com. Here's your host, Chris Woods. Well, educators, welcome back to the STEM Everyday Podcast. I'm very excited that we get to chat with Jason McKenna today. He's the Director of Global Education Strategy at Vex Robotics. He is also the author of a brand new book about STEM education, what STEM can do for your classroom. And he doesn't come at STEM from that that STEMI background. So educators, I think we're going to gain a lot from hearing Jason's experience and some ideas. If you want to follow him, you can head to Twitter at McKennaJ72. And of course, that's in the show notes as well. Welcome to the show today, Jason. Thank you for having me. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Now, you're a 20-year teacher that kind of transitioned into a role at Vex Robotics. You're from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. You know, give the educators that, that background on someone who, who didn't come into the STEM kind of education thing from a STEM background. Yeah, so I, I taught for 20 years, as you mentioned, at a small school um, outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where my office is right now. I transitioned from teaching in a regular classroom setting to doing our school's enrichment program. And mm-hmm. what I like to say, and I actually mentioned the book, I got pulled into robotics from my students. It's what my students wanted to do. That's um, awesome. It wasn't what, yeah, it wasn't what I wanted to do uh, because I have, as you mentioned, no background or experience in robotics, computer science, um, engineering, anything of the sort. Um, if something is broke here in the office, I'm the last person you want to ask uh, to potentially go and fix it or even look at it for that matter. <laughs> I'm not someone that like tinkers and takes something apart and, you know, and tries to figure out how it works. It's just not my nature. So I got introduced to education robotics by my students. Um, this is something, again, that they wanted to do, that they were exposed in different summer camps and different things they participated in. And I slowly got more and more involved in it. I was lucky that here in Pittsburgh, there was the Carnegie Mellon Robotics Academy where I got introduced to some teacher professional development, to some curriculum that I could start doing in my classroom. And I'm the type of person that if I'm not sure what I'm doing, I'm going to ask a lot of questions. And basically through that process, I befriended a lot of the people working at Carnegie Mellon. And that is slowly what led to my transition out of the classroom into the role that I have here now at Vex Robotics. Isn't isn't that uh, kind of always how it works for us as educators? We, we you know it starts with maybe a kid saying, "I'm really excited about something," and then we kind of dive into it more, and then we start meeting new people, and 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 pretty soon we've 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 almost we almost look back five ten years and say, "Wow, I can't believe how many changes have happened for me as an educator just in that short time period." That's exactly right. And, and one of the things I, I tell people a lot, and again, I mentioned this in the book also, is that I didn't fall in love with STEM education because, again, because I'm a coder. I don't spend my free time coding or I don't spend my free time uh, building things or building robots and doing stuff like that. Um, I fell in love with this because the things that I was trying to do in my classroom became a lot easier when I introduced things like robotics into my classroom. So yeah. just as an example of that, I would get observed by my principal teaching a math class and my principal would say to me, you know, Jason, nice job teaching this class, but you know, you need to be prompting your students to find different means to solve a problem or to explore different solutions. 
And I would say to him, I'm like, I, I understand that. And I am trying to do that. But there's only one way to solve the problem. It's math, right? There's one it, answer. There's one answer to it. And if I give them a problem that's too open-ended, they don't know how to get started with it. So I'm stuck in between this, these two places in which we're I'm giving them very basic work in which there's one answer to it. Or there's something that's so overwhelming for them. It's so robust. They have no idea how to get started with it. So I don't have the tools to really implement what you're asking me to do right now. Yeah. And then my first lesson teaching robotics, it was, you know, code your robot to drive in a square. And the students all had multiple different ways to be able to do it. And that was really the big light bulb moment for me. I was like, holy cow, I've been trying to do this for 10 years. Yeah. And I was unsuccessful in doing it. And now the very first lesson I taught with it, I was able to achieve this result. And that's really when I fell in love with it. So what, what you're saying, Jason, basically, is that sometimes just bringing those STEM pieces into a classroom are those things that are going to help our kids think uh, creatively, going to use some problem-solving skills to, to learn to approach things in a different way. That's 100% right. Collaboration and, also, uh, and, group and, work. Yeah, and then some. those translate into yeah. that regular learning that we want the kids to get. Yeah, so, so two points on that. As, as I started to say a moment ago, group work was something that I tell people all the time I struggle with as a teacher. I, I was yeah. a, I was not a good teacher when it came to, okay, well, I would like the three of you to work in a group to solve this problem or to do this challenge, whatever those particular things are. Mm -hmm. One person would do it. The other two people wouldn't do anything. And then they, all three of them did not get along. It, I, I just really, really struggled with it. And again, what I realized now looking back on it was because I didn't have the right tools to be able to do that. And this is why, you know, obviously at VEX, we're very firm believers in this, that this is why robotics is such a great organizer for STEM instruction is mm -hmm. it allows that collaboration to take place somewhat effortless, effortlessly, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. But secondarily, when you talk about those STEM skills, I have a chapter in my book that's devoted to the fact that starting STEM early is so important for mm -hmm. reason number one it allows students to have a positive impression of their STEM skills before they form that negative attitude towards it. But also, number two, these STEM skills are foundational for all of our learning, whether it's reading, whether it's math, whether it's writing, whatever it is, you know, the, the motor skills, the spatial reasoning skills, the yeah. critical thinking skills, the collaboration that you mentioned, yep. all of these things really undergird all of our future learning and really forms the foundation for our learning in the classroom. Yeah. And almost a little bit of that curiosity, too, that sometimes gets almost like wiped out as kids grow older and and get more focused on let's just complete an assignment. Let's just get something done. Let's just, quote unquote, learn something and kind of pulling that not just let's make everything fun, but that wonder that I want to figure out why something happens and why it works. And and I, and I love, I you know, your book is is really kind of split into those three parts. And, and really that first part you talked about STEM early, getting those kids hooked on it at, at the beginning. Uh, but part two, you dive into the aspect of discovering those STEM learning principles. Yeah. So so one of the one of the big things that I was excited about with this book was we all talk about, you know, STEM education is not new. There's there's nothing no. <laughs> there's nothing groundbreaking just, about just, and even the acronym, however many years yeah. old it is, that that's still not, you know, new. It's it's those timeless principles of learning. Exactly. And but 
unfortunately, though, when you when you tell a teacher, and, and I've and one of the best things about my job at Vex is I have an opportunity to talk to teachers all over the world, and it, they oftentimes it's the same question that you get, it or it's the same problem that they had when it's just okay. When the students are working in a group, or if I introduce project-based learning to my students, what am I supposed to be doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, because so many teachers, and I did this myself, have this schema in their head where they went through their own schooling, and when their own schooling, they watched the teacher teach. Mm-hmm. They kind of sat there passively, took the information in, and then regurgitated on a test or a written assignment, or they verbally express what they learned to their teacher. Mm-hmm. And teachers oftentimes fall into that exact schema because that's what they're used to. That's what they've seen. But when you now tell them, okay, now we want the students to direct their learning, or we want the students to explore different solutions. We want the students, all these things that you just mentioned, teachers often think about, okay, logistically, how do I actually do that? And that's what I talk about in the second part of that book. And Unfortunately, teachers are oftentimes given bad advice um, mm-hmm. or they're given bad instruction on this. We sadly in education, we work oftentimes in extremes where we just say, okay, we're going to do project-based learning, but it's yep. going to be very heavy, heavily scripted or heavily scaffolded. Mm-hmm. Or on the other side of that spectrum, we're going to say, kid, just go figure it out. Yeah. And for teachers, none of those two scenarios work very well for them. And And both of them are really kind of scary as an educator to think, I'm going to either give up full control or, you know, how do I have to script all this stuff? Exactly. And first of all, I take the approach, number one, of humility Mm -hmm. in that every teacher has their own context in their classroom and the students bring their own context to the classroom. So what works for me might not work for you and vice versa. So I don't try to come out and say, you must do it this way, because that doesn't work in education for the reasons I just mentioned. But then number two, um, we can find a nice middle ground. And I I refer to it as guided problem solving the book in which we can do some scaffolding at the beginning to make sure that the students foundationally have the background knowledge that they need. Mm -hmm. Then secondarily, we can make sure that both the teachers and the students are on the same page of what success looks like. And then we can take those scaffolds away and have the students iterate on their way to that success. So yeah. I try to provide a framework, but at the end of the day, it's just a, just a framework and then provide teachers with some guidance how they can apply that framework to their specific specific context. Yeah, because a lot of educators are, are coming at STEM education from maybe from an elementary school background where you're kind of trying to teach all those different things. And you got so many things you have to teach in that day. You know, how do you how do you fit some STEM in there without crowding out that stuff that uh, the local district, the school says you must teach these things? It can't be just one more thing that we ask teachers to do. Right. No, nope, it can't nope. be one additional thing. And 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 I talk about this a lot where it's you're going to have different people on different spectrums of their STEM journey. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to have people that are going to want to dive in and do STEM every day for an entire school year. And you're going to have people that just maybe want to do an after-school activity or they want to touch upon it in their classroom, whatever it is. One is always greater than zero. So (laughs) if you're doing something, that is great. And again, kind of taking this from the perspective of humility, I'm not going to sit here and say... You know, you you need to be injured. If you're in a second grade classroom, you need to introduce robotics. You need to be doing it every day. Uh, that'd be great if you did. But if you're not ready to do that for all the reasons you just mentioned, 
Uh, maybe just talk about how STEM is in current events. Maybe just talk about yep. pioneers in STEM right now. Talk about the James Webb Telescope. You know, yeah. talk about those types of things in your classroom when you have the time to do that. And that's that's a great start. Yeah, I love that, Jason. You said that one is always greater than zero. And I'm thinking just educators, if you just try that one STEM challenge each week, that one thing, that one little video that you add into a, a your typical lessons, your typical things during a, a week, uh, that's always going to make a bigger impact than, than zero. So again, chat with Jason McKenna from Vex Robotics, but also a 20-year educator and uh, author of the new book, What STEM Can Do for Your Classroom. It's on Solution Tree. You can find it everywhere, released in February of 2023. You can also find out more about it at jmckenna.org and at mckennaj72 on Twitter. Of course, all these things in the show notes as well. Jason, that third part of your book then uh, talks about exploring that STEM pedagogy and and thinking about how do you get it to go beyond just, uh, I'm just adding a little piece here and there. Yeah. So one of the things, if you think about from a teacher's perspective, things that teachers are responsible for are things like assessment. And then these these other things, and you, you've mentioned this a few times during our conversation, this idea of creativity. Mm-hmm. So number one, what does assessment look like in a, in a project-based learning classroom? And I try to take a very different approach to assessment. I've, I've been heavily influenced by Myron Dweck, and he's written two books on assessment, which are, are both very, very good. Uh, but this idea of making assessment student-centered, we talk about student-centered classrooms all the time, but we don't talk about this concept of student-centered assessment a lot. And at the beginning of the chapter of assessment, I, I, each chapter in the book begins with a quote. And the quote in the beginning of the assessment chapter says, Mr. McKenna, is this going to be graded? <laughs> asked by all of my students in every year that I taught. And I hated that question. It drove me crazy when my students asked me that question. But upon reflection, upon writing this book, what I realized was is that was the incentive system that I created for them. That is what they were geared to do in my classroom is I had to produce this one output that was told to me by my teacher. And once I produced that output, I was done. Um, how many times have a teacher have, have your students given you a, a, like a written essay or a lab report in a science class? You take all this time marking everything up. The last thing you put on is the grade. You give it back to your students, they flip through it, they see the grade, and they throw the paper away. And again, we're frustrated as teachers, but what is the actual incentive system that we're creating for our students to get them to not treat that grade as the end goal, but instead treat the process and learning itself as the goal? So I have an entire chapter devoted to how to kind of flip assessment around and to make it more student-centered so the students are not just motivated by the grade or an achievement of the grade, but instead are motivated by trying to achieve these learning outcomes that you create Mm -hmm. together with your students. And then along the way of doing that, how can you infuse these things like creativity in there together? And you know, taking the approach of humility with this, I don't take the approach that, you know, if, if you're teaching foundational knowledge or if you're teaching facts, you are killing students' creativity. <laughs> you know, it's not, that's not what we're trying to say at all. I don't think no. that, you, that you can really get teachers on your side by telling them that everything you're doing right now is terrible and everything you're doing right now is killing students' creativity. Right, right. Um, instead, I try to take the approach of, uh, here's what the research actually says what creativity is. You know, I, I say in the chapter, if, you, if you're in an auditorium full of teachers 
And if you ask all 100 of them what creativity is, you'll probably get 100 different answers. So yeah. let's start from the facet of what does the research actually say creativity is? And then how can we, again, one is always greater than zero. How can we take small steps if needed in order to foster more creativity with our students? Yeah. And and in fact, one of the one of the lines from your book, you know, you, you said good STEM teaching is good teaching. If yes. you're a great if you're a great mathematics or reading teacher, you will probably be a great STEM teacher. And and really that's it. It's it's applying those principles that we already know as educators and just trying to add and, and focus and maybe just shine an extra light on some of those those STEM principles for our students. So um Yeah, just- and even even if I love to read, you know, you know, th- this is my bias. I was saying earlier that I'm not I'm not a tinkerer. I'm not a coder. I love to read about pedagogy. I I love to read the the most recent research on it and all the rest of that. But if you don't, Mm -hmm. if you just have a really great relationship with your students, you're probably going to be a great STEM teacher. So, (laughs) well, because I mean, think back to that story you said right at the beginning, Jason. You know, a a kid talked about robotics. You were, you said, let's find out more about it, basically. And, yeah. because because we're in tune to what our kids are excited about, and and that's going to make a, a huge difference in in all of our classrooms. So so I know you also work with Vex Robotics, and a lot of educators think about uh, robotics. It sounds so complicated, and and maybe they've got some robots in their classroom, and they're thinking, you know, how do I start, or how can I use them for more than what I'm doing? So you know, how how does an educator maybe start bringing those things into their classroom a little bit better, so that it's not just okay, now it's time for robotics, and then we set them back on the shelf. Yeah, that, that, that's a great question. I think something that you can do, you know, with robotics, if you think about what STEM is and, and what what does the NSTA actually say how STEM should be applied in our classroom, and it's it's the authentic application of science and math and uh, technology concepts to solve a real world challenge. Mm. You talked earlier about, you know, kids kind of as they progress through school, they lose their enthusiasm and they they lose that curiosity. And oftentimes one of the reasons why that is, is because we do not present problems to students as they see them in the real world. Yeah. Real, real world, all of these things are mixed together, but in schools, oftentimes we present them to students in silos. Yep. So a, a great way to just do more with robotics and to um, to think about robotics in a proper context is how can I take the things that my students are learning in their science and in their math and in their technology, and how can I combine them all together in order to create real world authentic challenges that are engaging for my students. And obviously at VEX, you know, we try, we don't want the teachers to have to figure that out on their own. We provide them with the curriculum. We provide them with the support. We also provide them with the, with the free teacher professional development so that they don't have to create these lessons on their own. It's kind of, kind of our mantra here at VEX is we, we don't ever want you to have to go on teachers pay teachers to find a lesson plan, you know. That's um, awesome. So, so we wanna be able to provide you with all those things and because STEM is not a core academic subject, it's mm-hmm. being applied differently all over the world. So the it key, is. our responsibility as a product company and kind of like our promise to teachers is whatever we make is going to be flexible. So if you are looking to implement STEM like once a week, uh, if you can implement STEM in an after school club, if you want to do it every day for an entire semester, whatever it is. We have a solution for you, and we're going to show you how to do that. Because, again, we want you to focus on your students. We want you to focus on creating that great relationship with your students, 
things like we just got done talking about creativity and problem solving, not how do I actually structure this lesson or how do I find the idea or how do I find that authentic real world challenge? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I know if you go to vexrobotics.com, you can uh, click on all the different information and links and stuff on there, but there's also a get started tab that yes. uh, has has things basically for all those different levels of uh, all those grade levels, the different, different types of products and things. So definitely check those out, educators, especially if it's been a little while or, or challenge your kids to poke around on the website. They'll often find some great things that that they're interested in, again, to bring into your classroom as well. Jason, so great chatting with you. I got a couple last questions I'd, I'd love to, to hear your perspective on. Talk about STEM and, and, and you've got a book, you know, what STEM can do for your classroom. Uh, what do you hope is the future of STEM education? My hope for the future of STEM education, honestly, is just more adoption. Yeah. I think there's there's a lot that we can obviously do with STEM education at the top end, but there are still way too many students that are not exposed to STEM in, in a quality manner. So, you know, luckily in education, we're hearing a lot more about concepts like access. We talk about things like computer science for all, and we talk about things like STEM education for all. Uh, what does it actually mean? What does all actually mean? And thinking about that, how do we ensure that all students have access to these materials and to these things? One of our goals here at VEX, you know, VEX got started with after-school robotics competitions. We have the world's largest robotics competition. And But if you think about it, oftentimes it's schools that are really good at robotics are the ones that are hosting the robotics competitions. And I coached high school football when I was teaching and I coached some really bad teams and we still hosted games on Friday nights. <laughs> That's a right. really good point. Wow. Right. So so how do we how do we continue? How do we make things like robotics competitions so that I don't have to be this stellar program or I don't have to have this really good team and I can still host a competition? Yeah. Right. Um, so I think thinking about things like that and really kind of pressing on those things. And having educators have those conversations around those things, because at the end of the day, how you actually achieve change in education is by getting educators to talk to one another and having them work through these problems together. So that's what I hope for the future of STEM education is for us to really think critically about what STEM education for all students actually means and giving teachers the means and opportunity to solve these problems together. Yep. Every kid, every classroom, every day deserves to to get some great STEM education, deserves a great teacher. And uh, sometimes it's just as simple as that. All the other different types of solutions we can come up with. They just, they just yeah. need that. And, and, and some, and, you know, like you said in your book, you know, starting STEM early, uh, some of that also comes from, from just parents that, that spend some time with their kids as much as we tell our parents to read with their kids, you know, just, uh, just put together a puzzle, just uh, go for a yeah. walk in the, in the woods, just any of those types of things that, that can, uh, foster some of that STEM learning right from a, a young age. And uh, if you could have anybody be that ultimate guest speaker in your classroom, someone from STEM, past or present, Jason, who would who do you think would be that ultimate person to inspire some kids? So one person I talk about in the book um, as an example of, of someone that you could talk about in your classroom is, is a woman by the name of Ann Carpenter. And her story absolutely fascinated me. You know, when I taught sixth grade and I was teaching like cell division, right? Mm -hmm. You'd have the kids draw a diagram and you'd be like, okay, like this happens and then this happens. And what I found out in researching this book is we really have no idea how cell division happens. 
Uh, cells are so amazingly complex, which is why creating vaccines is such a difficult thing to be able to do. And oftentimes mm -hmm. why it takes so, so long to be able to do. Our cells are amazingly complex. We don't know why certain things get into a cell and why a cell does not let other things in. Mm -hmm. So Ann Carpenter was a biologist and, and, and she was studying cells. And what she realized was because there's so many different things that the cells do and because there's all this data that I have to be able to get, she had to rely upon computer science to be able to enable her to do her job effectively. So uh, first they created these, these programs in order to be able to go through and identify the patterns uh, that these cells had. And then secondarily, she's like, okay, now I have all this data. What do I do with this data? Mm -hmm. uh, they created artificial intelligence to actually go in and analyze all the different data. So now that they had this data analyzed, they can then make proper judgments accordingly. And she taught herself the computer science and then the AI to be able to do this. And if you think about what a great application of what STEM actually is, where you have the science and you have the math and you have the technology mm -hmm. all work in the engineering all working together to create these great results. I was just really blown away in reading about her story in the book. So I would encourage you to do the same. Yeah. And uh, educators, a quick search for Ann Carpenter on, on Google. You're going to find her and, and find out she's an amazing scientist in her 40s, actually born uh, not that far away from, from where I, I'm sitting right now interviewing you, Jason, here in Michigan. So um, amazing things. She's definitely not that that white-haired, you know, no. sticking up old, <laughs> old scientist caricature that uh, that we got to get her kids past. So I uh, really appreciate uh, you sharing that that story. Any, any other last thoughts for us today, Jason? It's been uh, truly a privilege hearing uh, so many of your great thoughts about STEM education. You know, just the, the just the last thought would just be, you know, teachers have been through a lot for the last couple of years. So if you're mm -hmm. a teacher, um, you know, listening to this, just thank you for what you've done. I really appreciate everything, you know, that you, you're doing and you continue to do in your classroom. Thank you for all that you do. And thank you that all that you're going to do. Yeah. Educators, you are superheroes and, and each and every day getting up on uh, the good days and the rough days uh, and going in and, and, and helping kids get inspired and, and taking, taking hold of their education. It's, uh, it's truly great what you're doing each day. So again, follow Jason on Twitter at McKennaJ72 or head to jmckenna.org. Find out more about his book, find out more about how you can get a copy and just uh, find some more great inspiration that we just kind of always need each and every day. Jason, it's been a real privilege chatting with you today and, and all the best to you. All the best to you also. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. All right. And educators, as always, if you need to connect with me, head to dailystem.com. You can always find out more about podcasts. You can find ways to subscribe. You can look at archived episodes and find more great ideas and, and get inspired by great educators like Jason. And again, just keep up that good work each and every day. Educators, we are doing that most important job. We are helping that next generation of kids get inspired about their learning so that they can do those amazing things in the future.